0: This morning, we want to talk about the E-word. You you know what the E-word is? Evangelism. No one leave. Just, just, just hang with me. That, that's the word right, that we hear and we're like, oh no. Here comes another drive-by guilting. Here comes uh, uh, another time where the Holy Spirit's working on my heart. And, and you know what? I hope the Holy Spirit works on our hearts this morning. Um, not, I'm not so much hoping for the drive-by guilting. But um, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit works in every one of our hearts. Um, I'll just start by saying right up front, evangelism is something that I am working on. And I am continually working on. And so I do not stand here this morning as the master evangelist that is going to pass on all of the secrets and the ten steps to do this perfectly well and save the world. I'm coming this morning as a fellow traveler. And as someone that is, is challenged by God's Word, as someone that is challenged to move beyond my comfort and to do this because this is what God wants us to do. And so that's the, the spirit that I, I come this morning in. And um, we're in this together. And this is our mission together. I want to start with a question this morning. Um, how many of you know Jesus as your Savior? Okay, lots of hands which praise God. That's, that's what I love to see in a church. I want you to think for a moment back to when you came to faith in Christ. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, what were some of the events or circumstances around that? And we're not going to spend the next 45 minutes sharing testimonies. I'm just going to give give some questions and look for show of hands. But if you think of how, how many of you came to Christ through maybe an um, evangelistic meeting? Billy Graham crusade, Greg Laurie, something like that. Okay, a couple of you did. Anyone come to Christ just because you found a Bible and picked it up and were reading through it? You know, I've heard stories like that. Anyone there? Okay, no one there. Um, anyone come to Christ because of a loss or a crisis in your life drove you to seek God? A few hands there. Anyone come to Christ because a friend or a relative told you about Christ and led you to the Lord? You guys, looking around. Over 50%. The others were all 2 or 3%. I was just curious. I, you know, I have studies that I could have presented and different books have done studies. I wanted to do our own study and just say, okay, in our congregation of 200, what's the mix? Over 50% of you came to Christ because of a person. Because someone told you the incredibly great news of the gospel. Think about that and keep that in mind as we come to this topic this morning. Because the question that we want to pose as we talk about evangelism is, will we be that person in someone else's life? Will I be that person who most of you accepted Christ through that method? Will I be that person that shares the good news with someone else? That overcomes some of the barriers to sharing that good news? just by, by way of context and background, last week we started talking about the church. And we talked about why I love God's church and it's the most incredible place to be and an organization to be part of or community to be part of. But one of the things we spent half of our time last week talking about is what is the mission of the church? What is God's heart for the church? Why did He leave the church behind when He ascended to heaven and said, I'm coming back? What did He leave the church to do? And the church's mission we talked about last week, and I've expanded it just a tad, but continue Christ's work by making disciples for Him, by sharing the Gospel and training others to follow Christ to His glory. And we saw from the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and, and, and the other commissions that Jesus gave at the end of His life and then the teaching throughout the rest of the New Testament, we have a mission. We have a job and it's to make disciples. Win people to Christ, train them to follow Him. And that's our marching orders. And so if that's our grand mission and we reflect that in our church's vision statement in the purpose portion of that, the second half, we say that we are building Christ-focused families. Why? That disciple their communities for Him. And so right in our vision statement, what are we about? We are about making disciples. Because that's what Jesus said we're to be about. And so that's our, our mission. Over the next few weeks, I want to break that down a little bit. What does it look like to make disciples? What does a disciple look like? What are different areas of life that a disciple will practice? How can we be about what Christ is about? And we have four foundational values or elements of what it means to be a disciple, of what it means to minister here at Village Bible Church. And all of our ministries come to bear on these core values. Those four core values are outreach, community, spiritual growth, and ministry. And so many, so much of what we do, well, everything we do fits somewhere within those, and all of those to the glory of God. And so for the next few weeks, we want to take each of these. And it's been a number of years since we've taken each of these and, and studied them. And so today, we want to look at outreach. So, okay, what does it mean to be about outreach, personally and as a church? And we have to, to define some things before we go on. outreach can mean a lot of things. Some people think outreach is just waving at someone as they pass by the street on the street. That's not outreach. That may be part of outreach. That's part of being friendly, but that isn't the extent of outreach. A, A working definition that I have for outreach in your notes is proclaiming the gospel to the lost, starting at home, and continuing to all the world. Proclaiming the gospel to the lost, starting at home, and continuing to all the world. In Acts 1.8, as, as Christ is giving instructions to His disciples, He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And He gives a strategy there, but His goal is that we're to make disciples to be witnesses to the entire world, starting at home and spreading out. Now as we think about it in the church, we've we've split outreach into two categories. The first, evangelism, we'll talk about this week. The second, missions, we'll talk about next week. And our, our definitions of those... Actually, I don't think I have those up there. Um, evangelism is the process of sharing the gospel with our local circles of community. And so when we say evangelism, we are very specific to what you and I should be doing every day. What are our circles of community? Think for a minute of what what your circles of community are. Your family. Your extended family is part of your community, right? Your church family and the area around the church. In fact, that's the community we all share. That's where all of our circles of community overlap. Your neighbors are part of your community. And so if you picture a Google map, picture the little circles of the church and your neighborhood, maybe picture a circle where you go to work. That's part of your community. Who do you touch on a daily or weekly basis? Who do you come in contact with? That's part of evangelism. Those are part of our responsibility to share the Gospel at home. And then missions, the second aspect of that is then going beyond our local communities. It's sending and going to bring the Gospel to the lost world beyond our local community? They're both outreach. They're both part of our call to share the Gospel with a lost and dying world. But thinking of them separately can help us give some, some pointers and give some ideas for how do we do each of these because they function a little differently. But the end result is this. The world is dying. And we have the answer. Think about that for a minute. The world is dying... And God, through Jesus Christ, has given us the answer. That is pretty awesome. But it's a sobering responsibility as well. And so we come this morning to outreach. And specifically to evangelism. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20. and We'll be looking at a lot of verses this morning and a lot of verses we won't look at, but they're in your notes that you can look at this week. We invite you to do that. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under the chair. Every other chair has a Bible under there. I encourage you to take that out and follow along. If you don't own a Bible, please keep that one as our gift to you. And take it home and study about our Lord and Savior. But 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 20 is really one of our key verses on evangelism. Our responsibility to our circles of community. And it reads this, "...all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation." And right from the start, we see Christ work in our lives. He reconciled us to Himself, and that's the Gospel. He died on the cross for our sins. That if we believe on Him, we can have peace with Him and be reconciled to Him. But it's not just for us. He reconciled us to Himself And He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We're saved for a purpose. As one of the youth themes recently was, saved to serve. Saved to reconcile. To bring people to God. Verse 19, Paul goes on as he's writing to the church at Corinth. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And I read that last phrase, and that scares me. That God has entrusted to us, His church, the message of reconciliation. Because I start to feel the weight of the responsibility. But Paul goes on, just to make sure we feel the weight of the responsibility, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. Think about what an ambassador does. An ambassador goes into enemy territory, right? Goes into a foreign land, enemy or or foreign, goes into a foreign land representing the nation that they're an ambassador for. You and I are in a foreign land. We are aliens and strangers here because our home isn't here. Our home is in heaven. Kingdom of God. We're aliens and strangers here, but we are ambassadors for Christ called to stay here and, and declare Christ to this world. To make an appeal. And that's helpful for understanding evangelism as well. It's not just, oh, I'm going to live a good life. It's about making an appeal. It's about calling people to action, to a decision. Then Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We could go into that a lot more. In fact, we have in past sermons... But today I want to focus a little bit of a different direction and say, okay, that's evangelism and we've talked a lot about the the Great Commission and what our mission is and that we are disciples on mission. But this morning I want to ask the question, why don't we? What gets in the way of sharing the Gospel? I'm calling them barriers to evangelism. Anyone have any barriers to evangelism? You don't have to tell me what they are, but anyone have any barriers? Things that make it hard to evangelize? Yeah, I do. As I'm, as I'm going through this list, some, some of these are just, okay, this is what I struggle with. This is what I think about. And we have these barriers to doing what God has called us to do. And it's like a, 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 a barricade in the road and, and we think we can't pass and God is asking us to pass and it creates this tension it creates guilt. It creates people running for the door when the pastor talks about evangelism. And we have these deep-seated barriers that sometimes we're not even aware of that hinder our ability to obey and hinder our ability to, to continue Christ's work here on earth. So this morning i like to talk. Let's just talk about them. Be honest with some of them. Talk about some, some ways to overcome some of them. And, and we'll just sort of touch on eight of them this morning. And, and we'll briefly go through them, not looking for a whole sermon on each one. But maybe to challenge and at least bring to awareness what some of our, our barriers are. First barrier to evangelism that I have is we struggle to believe the urgency. We struggle to believe the urgency. And what I mean by this is we we know that we're in a lost and dying world. We know that people are going to be spend eternity away from God. But do we think about the fact that that could happen at any time? Do we think about the fact that life is short and Jesus could come back at any time? Turn to James 4:13, James 4 verse 13 and 14. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a, in such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Great questions. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What's James saying? Life is short. It's a mist. You ever boil water in your stove and the mist comes up? How long does it stay in the air? About like that. James is saying that's what life is like. We don't know when it'll end. We don't know when it will end for the people in our lives that don't know God. There's an urgency there that we don't keep in mind because we think we have time. We think we have time. The other part of this is Jesus can come back at any time. And I'm praying He does. I would love for Him to come back today. But then I think about what does that mean for people in my life that I love that don't know God. And we know that the imminency of Christ's return means it can happen at any time. In Revelation 1.3, He says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. The time is near. Life is short. Jesus can come back at any time. And that should create a sense of urgency. And we need a sense of urgency, don't we? Think about at work for a minute. Your boss comes in and says, I'd like those numbers by the end of of six months from now. Is there urgency? Nah. You know what? I have six months. Compared to the boss comes in and says, I'd like those numbers on my desk by the end of today, or you don't have a job. Do you act differently with those two situations? Absolutely. Those of you that are students, we have a number of college and high school students here. Your teacher says, you have a 20-page paper due by the end of semester. I know what you do. I know that that means a week before the end of the semester, you're like, ah, and and you're doing the paper, right? Don't don't lie to me. Yeah. But if your teacher says by the end of the week, half your grade is based on this 20-page paper, when do you start it? Well, hopefully this week. Some of you, it's still the night before. (laughs) But there's a different urgency. Family, life is short. Jesus could come back tomorrow. There's an urgency that we have to retrain our minds to think about. In fact, the first three of these barriers I call barriers in our thinking. It's ways that we have to reorient our thoughts and our beliefs that will affect evangelism. Miller Derrickson in his book on theology writes, In view of the certainty of the second coming and finality of the judgment that will follow, it is imperative that we act in accordance with the will of God. Amen. Amen. You know, a phrase that I know we sometimes shy away from saying, but I actually like it. Time is short and hell is hot. Think about that for a minute. There's a lot of truth to that. Time is short and hell is hot. And it's not that we're trying to scare people into the kingdom, but it's okay. And in fact, it's necessary for us to teach that there is a judgment. And that God's wrath will come. See, if we think we have lots of time, our commitment to evangelism lowers. Story of John Harper. He was a um, Baptist pastor. He was in London, did some things with, with Moody. In fact, he was coming to the States to speak at Moody, some of it about evangelism. And, and he was riding across on a ship called the Titanic. Maybe you've heard of it. And he's coming across, and his wife had passed away a few years earlier, he has his daughter on the ship, and the, the night of the incident, or the night of the disaster, they hit the iceberg, and he takes his daughter and says, you've got to, to get in the lifeboat, puts her in a lifeboat, he stays on the ship. And there was a lot of wonder, okay, what did he do for that time? And then some stories started to come up, and one story in particular of a Scotsman said, well actually I, I know him, I met him that night. Because we were both floating on some wreckage in the water. And, and as the waves came and some of the wreckage came, he came close to me and he said, man, are you saved? And I said, no. And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And he floated away. A few minutes later, he floated back. Man, are you saved yet? <laughs> no. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the man accepted Christ. And stories of people on the boat before they, they, got, before they um, fell off the boat, I guess, said the same thing. He was witnessing to people as the Titanic was going down. There was a sense of urgency. I pray we don't have to have a ship that's sinking to have that same sense of urgency. First barrier is we struggle to believe the urgency. The answer is to understand Scripture when it says life is short and Jesus can come back at any time. Second barrier is we see people as ordinary rather than souls that need Jesus. We see people as ordinary rather than souls that need Jesus. And this we talked about a lot last week as we talked about Christ's mission and what He was sent to do. This is about having a heart that is Christ's heart for the lost. Having a burden for the lost that cares about them deeply and doesn't just see them as people that, oh, well, I don't care about, but sees every person we meet as someone that will spend eternity with God or eternity in punishment. And then we begin to have the compassion that Jesus had, the care that Jesus had. See, it's so easy once we've been Christians for a long time to forget about that people are lost and dying. In fact, In in, in Ephesians, as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and we know from Revelation that Ephesus was filled with mature Christians, but they struggled to have their first love. They struggled with legalism. In Ephesians, multiple times, what does Paul remind them of in regards to their salvation? He says, you were like this. You were lost. And now, by the amazing grace of God, you're not. So what are you going to do about it? we are blessed with so much, so many years of Christian service in this room. But it's a challenge to us to remind ourselves we were lost. And such were us. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, nothing I did, if it wasn't for the grace of God that came out and snatched me from destruction, I'd still be there. And so can I Share that same message with someone else. The barrier, second barrier is we see people as ordinary rather than souls that need Jesus. Third barrier it's hard to evangelize when we've lost the wonder of our own salvation. It's hard to evangelize when we've lost the wonder of our own salvation. And this is still barriers in our thinking and, and how we approach evangelism. When we lack a freshness in our walk with God. And it's so easy. We are a people that gets tired of things. We are a people that loves the new, right? This week, big iPhone announcement. I don't know if anyone watched it. And, and, and after watching it, I realized I'm not happy with my existing phone. In fact, it sort of stinks. Because there's something new. New. And we are we are driven to fresh and new. How many books are there about rekindle the romance in your marriage? Because we lose wonder so easily. And the answer isn't to find something new. The answer is to be in awe of the grace of God and salvation of God. To be renewed of that every day and reminded of that every day. I'm in awe in my marriage that Susie married me with all my foibles and all my quirks. But I'm even more in awe that God saved me. While I was a wretch, while I was a sinner, while I was in rebellion to Him. We need to be in awe of our salvation. I'd like to just spend a minute and do a responsive reading. I love responsive readings. And I have some verses up here to remind ourselves. Let's see if this, And I'll read the first verse and um then as a congregation if you can read the second verse 2 Corinthians 5:17 and 21 therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creature creation the old has passed away behold the new has come In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, Even we our alive with Christ. By grace he and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen. Be in awe, be in wonder of our salvation, because then we have something to talk about. Those are three barriers that are barriers in our thought process that need to change. But then the rest are barriers more in our practice and and barriers that can get in the way of actually doing it. And the fourth barrier there is we don't know non-Christians. Or maybe we just don't think we know them well enough. A recent survey by George Barna introduced some of the facts. Within six months of experiencing salvation, most Christians have reduced their relationship with the unsaved to one person. Think about that. It is really hard to evangelize and to share the gospel with people if you don't know anyone that needs the gospel. Now, I understand this. I, I'm there. I don't share the gospel a lot hoping to convert people at work. Joanne, let's talk. No. <laughs> you know, in my neighbors, and we've been reaching out to our neighbors, three out of the four that we know around us are saved. Which means we, we really need to target that one and all get together and gang up on them. This is going to be great. My family, for the most part, knows God. And so, so this one, I, I, I understand, I get this one, but the question is does this excuse me, does this excuse you from obeying God? does this excuse us from the mission that we are on? No, it just challenges us to go to the mission. To find unsaved people. To develop those relationships. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That means we go out from our comfort zone. We go out from where we are. And we take the great news of the Gospel to people. God is making His appeal through us. See, Christian hospitality crosses enemy lines. And so the challenge for us with this one, we don't know non-Christians, is to say that is not a barrier. It is simply a challenge. And I am going to find non-Christians in my life. I am going to make sure I know people that need the Gospel. And so when I think of this, it can't be a barrier, but there's some things I can do. I can make it a priority to get to know some unbelievers. I can increase my priority of getting to know my neighbor across the street, even though he's very different than us, because he needs Christ. Make it a priority to get to know some unbelievers. Write them down, list them, and then start to pray for them daily. If you don't know them well enough, pray that God will give you opportunities to know them better. And then look for those opportunities, plan for those opportunities. Like 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give, uh, make a defense to anyone who asks the reason. You know, a great way to do this is to show hospitality, to invite people into our homes. And we talked about that a little bit at Memorial Day when we talked about the barbecues. And as awkward as that is, it's an attempt to invite people in our homes to say, I am going to get past this barrier. I'm going to make sure I know some non-Christians. Now if we do this, we need to cultivate genuine relationships with them. People know when they're a project, right? Call them up, say, oh, thanks for talking, now I can check you off my list. No, we would never say that. But we think that and people know that. We need to cultivate genuine relationships with them, genuine friendships. That requires us opening up a little bit. Maybe opening up with our hearts, with our lives, with some of our struggles. And sharing how Christ is helping us with those. If we're going to make the kind of relationships that make a difference to the lost, they have to be genuine and real. And that opens the door for us to share Christ. You know, be interested in them. What do they like? But don't let this be a barrier. We're ambassadors going into a foreign land that acknowledges the barrier and says your job is to get past it. The next barrier that we have is it's uncomfortable, fear. And I would bet most feel this. And most struggle with this. We worry about what people will think, especially in a culture of tolerance and in a postmodern culture where it is looked down on to question anyone, to have an absolute truth, to, to tell them, if you don't know Christ, you're going to hell. And the only way to spend eternity with Christ is to believe on Him, repent and trust Him with our lives. That's not an easy message. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that was very intolerant. There was one way. And only one way. That's our message. But we can't let a fear of being uncomfortable and a fear of what others will think stop us and one of the ways we get past this, and one of the things I think that feeds it, is we think it's all about us. So we get past it by realizing the gospel is about the Holy Spirit. It's about the power of God. In Romans 1, Paul is talking to the church at Rome, and he's talking about people that have walked or that are resistant to the truth. And Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Catch that? For I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Shame is not a barrier that's valid. Shame is about me. This is about Christ. And Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the Gospel. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and to the Greek. Where does it put the power? in the Gospel, in the message, in God. It's not about whether I can convince this person I'm just to be the ambassador and try and let the power of God move, move mightily. And so when I give in to I'm, I'm fearful, I'm worried about what others think, I'm uncomfortable, I'm actually struggling with whether I believe the Gospel is powerful. Whether I believe it's, it's God's message. And that's convicting. It's why Jesus, even in the Great Commission, at the end of it said, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. A reminder that He's the one that is assisting and, and empowering. You know, some other ways that this, this barrier comes out is sometimes uh, in timing, we want to wait for the perfect time. We're afraid to mess up. But you know what? I'd, I'd rather you mess up sharing the Gospel and share the Gospel than to never share it at all. Because the Holy Spirit can use that. Paul himself, and, and Pastor Andrew mentioned this this morning, Paul himself in Ephesians 6.18-20 through 20 says, "...praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints." And then he says what to pray for Him about. "...and also for me, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel." for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul needed prayer for boldness. That he would get past his discomfort and be on mission for Christ. If Paul has to pray that, man, we have to pray that. Lord, give me courage. Give me strength to present the truth that Jesus is the only way of salvation. It's hard. You know, some, some of this conversation with discomfort, you know, some of what we try to do is, okay, how can we turn a conversation to God? And there, there's all kinds of ways we can do that. And I, I have a list of them and maybe I'll put them on, on Facebook about just asking some general questions. But, if, but, but one of the, the books I was reading hit me and it said we don't necessarily have to make a transition into the gospel. Because our normal way of communicating isn't about transitions. Let me explain this with a silly example, okay? You know, we're all in here. Did any of you, um, as you're walking in, did any of you see the sky? What color was the sky? Blue. That's a really nice color, isn't it? You know, I have this blue pen that I really like that I'd like to tell you about. I've made connections, right? Do we talk that way? No, you'd be like, man, you're, you're weird. <laughs> you're trying to force a conversation. Defenses go up. What do we do? We just jump into things. We, we actually talk in a fairly random way. If you think about it, if I go up to someone, I might say, Hey, I got this great cool blue pin. What do you think? Now, nobody thinks I'm weird then. Well, never mind. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? We've got to get past our discomfort, and because we love Jesus, because He has done a work in our lives, let's just talk about it. Let's just make it part of our normal conversation. If you're living for God, if you're living in a way that pleases God, if you've dealt with sin in your life, people are going to notice. People are going to ask questions. But talk about Christianity and talk about spiritual things like it's a normal part of life, because that's what it should be. Talk about church. Talk about what you did this weekend. You know, we were at Del Taco yesterday and, and with the family, and after Second Harvest, and we're talking. That this gentleman next to us was very friendly and, and very talkative, and, and so we're talking to him. And the subject of baseball came up. He was wearing a USC shirt. I know that's not baseball, but sports came up. And he's, he's like, you guys root for the Angels, right? <laughs> well, actually, I'm a Dodgers fan. But you know, most of the people at my church are Angels fans. And we ended up being able to talk a little bit. And he saw us pray and... Church was just a normal part of my life. It's it's who I am. This community is my family. Why wouldn't I talk about you guys? You're just as weird as I am. (laughs) Like that? (laughs) And so something like the Dodgers and the Angels can just work into a conversation about church. Now that still has to go somewhere. That's not the Gospel. But it's a step toward that. How embarrassed are you willing to get to be on mission for Christ? Remember the commercial a while back about talking to your kids about drugs? It was like, parents, it's hard to do. You just got to do it. It's that important. Whether someone spends eternity with Christ or apart from Christ is even more important. You just got to do it. And I'm talking to myself as much as anyone here. running through the other barriers. Six, we can be too busy. We can be too busy. And I would remind ourselves of the words of Christ in Mark 8, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. If the main thing's not the main thing, then we better reorder our priorities and make some changes in life. Because family, if we're not on mission for God, then we are not obeying God. And so if I'm too busy, that's not an excuse to not share the Gospel. That's a a red flag that says, Maybe you're too busy. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Barrier number seven, we don't know what to say. We don't know how to put the Gospel into words. And it's hard. There's so many competing messages of what the Gospel is. The Gospel is not oh, you can have a great life. In fact, you can have your best life now. That's not the Gospel. The Gospel is not, oh, God loves everybody and everyone will come to Him eventually. The Gospel is the very specific steps of why do we need Christ and how do we come to Him. And I put four questions in there which are great questions. We don't have time to go through them in detail right now, but I will pick them up next week. The first is, who is God? And we start by, if we're telling someone the Gospel, we start by who is God? Why do we need Him? What did He create us to do? He is holy. He is just. He is loving. But He created us for a relationship with Him. Why are we in such a mess? I love that way of putting it. It takes the Christianese out of it. Why is this world a mess? Everyone will agree this world's a mess. It's because we've willfully sinned against God. What did Christ do? And that's where we lead them through the work of Christ on the cross. That He died in our place as payment for our sins to satisfy His wrath. And finally, how do we get back to God? We must acknowledge our sins, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And follow Him with our life. If we don't do that, we are not saved. That's the Gospel. Can you remember those four things? That's what we need to share. That's what changes lives and brings people into the kingdom. You know, sometimes I've heard the the quote a lot, preach the Gospel when necessary, use words. No. No. It's always necessary to use words. It's always necessary to speak truth. Yes, we should live in such a way that bring people to that, but that's just the first step. In Romans 10, Paul says, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? We need to know what to say. It's okay to use tools to do that. In fact, out of the information booth, I have three different things out there you're welcome to take. One is the book, More Than a Carpenter. It's a great way if, if, you're, if someone has questions and is starting to ask, say, hey, would you read this book? Or better yet, hey, do you want to read this book together? You read the cha- first chapter, I'll read the first chapter, we'll talk about it next week. Max Stiles, who wrote a book called Evangelism, said one of the most effective ways he's been able to bring people into the kingdom is by doing Bible studies with them. I'm like, with an unbeliever? What? He says, hey, you want to find out about spiritual truth together? Let's study the book of Mark. Let's study a book like this together. And people are accepting Christ all over the place. Another track we have out there called What is the Gospel? Explain these four things in more detail and give some of the verses. Another tool out there is called Two Ways to Live. It's another track. Great thing to go through with somebody. And you can talk through the Gospel with them. Use tools. If we don't know what to say... That is not an excuse to not evangelize. It means, I better figure out what to say and I better, better figure out what tools I need to, to use. Because people need the Lord. Finally, the last one, we think a barrier of evangelism. We think that because the church does evangelism, that I've done evangelism. Should we have programs like Awana? Absolutely. Should we do things like Second Harvest that are opening doors for the Gospel and bringing people in to hear the Gospel? Absolutely. Does that count for your responsibility to be on mission for Christ? Well, it's part of it. But that doesn't mean we've checked it off and now I don't have to share Christ with anyone else. Woohoo! We each have a personal responsibility.